Hello everyone and welcome to episode 349 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre where you'll find an awesomely supportive writing community and some great writing courses. I'm here with Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of The Fire Star, A Maven and Reeve Mystery. How are you, Al? I'm I'm okay. I'm good. I'm 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 in that point now where the book's been out for a couple of weeks and I've reached the you know swimming around in a still pond kind of stage of publishing. <laughs> it's like a little bit of a hangover. Oh, You're yes. not quite sure what's going on. You mm. feel like the big initial rush is over. You know, it's mm. that. That's where I am. But I'm also just working on this on the next book. I'm working on the second book and that's the thing that saves you every single yes. time. Yes. At all stages of publishing, my one piece of advice, be working on something else no matter what's going on because it's the, it just stops you from turning yourself inside out, you yeah. know, wondering, The waiting, waiting the limbo. All that. Yeah, yeah, just all of those Always things. writing. All that stuff that you can't control mm. is manageable if you are working on something else that you can control because you can control what goes on your page and that's it. That's all you can control. So, yeah. yeah. For sure. Yes, it is a funny period, isn't it, when you're kind of like the big hurrah is, the big parade is over, but there's, it usually <laughs> the comes. The parade that never was. <laughs> there's usually another parade. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, and, and this, ways this year, discover it. Yeah, that's right. And it's also, it's a strange sort of a year because, um, you know, generally speaking, you I would have been at least able to get together with my friends and, you know, have a glass of champagne and just sort of like, you know, just lie around in the backyard and just be glad it's all over, you know. Um, but this year you can't even do that really, you know. So mm. it's, uh, it's it just sort of feels like the occasion is it's marked because, you know, we had the launch in Your Kids Next Read and we yeah. like lots of exciting things. But um, I think that the virtual stuff is, while it's amazing, um, and I'm so glad that we have it because if we yes. didn't have it, where would we all be? Um, yes. I do also feel as it's not the same as just getting together with people to feel that, you know, sense of excitement and achievement that you get from a from a physical book launch. So um yeah, so it's a it's a strange old old place to be. But I'm I'm pretty happy with how Maven and Reef 2 is is shaping up and I'm I'm getting very close to finishing that first draft. So I'm I'm, you know, like I'm pretty excited about that because I the second one is always harder than the first. Yeah. Uh, because you're not only like I've I was a fair bit into it before the Firestar came out, so that was a blessing because otherwise you're kind of sitting there like trying to I don't know. You need to know what your story is before the first one comes out. I think because mm. um, you don't want to be taking on too much of what's being said about the first one. You want to make sure that you're true to your characters and true to your to yourself and 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 get that first draft down the way that you, you know, that you think it should be. Yes, yes. But you know what, just coming back to the virtual events versus the physical events, I'm curious to know because obviously in when we used to do physical events and you'd have book launches or, you know, celebratory events and and things like that um and and stuff that uh you know like I was involved with a lot of the lunar festivities and you'd have a lot of events and things like that I've always found them almost like out of body experiences oh like they if, are yeah, yeah they did are. you actually get to appreciate and feel the celebration because 
I don't think I ever have. No, I have always, I always have always felt like an onlooker at mm. my own book launches. It's a yes. very strange feeling of like, oh, look, there's Alison launching her book. Um, yeah, it's a very strange feeling. You don't, it's, it's, it's like your wedding. I think anyone who's ever got married will mm. also understand that feeling. It's the same feeling that you have on your wedding day of being there and being, yeah. you know, you're in it, but there's this weird sense of, is this actually really happening? You know, yeah. yeah, it's very odd. And it's not till later when you reflect on it that you, and you look back on it and you kind of sort of, then the reality of it all comes forward. But yeah, I just, it's a very odd feeling um, being, I think it's just that being, maybe it's being the centre of attention like that, that I, I'm not yeah. used to. Um, because I, you know, like I, I'm not a party thrower, generally speaking. Yes. I, I like to go to parties, but I'm not someone who likes to throw them because I, mm. I stress too much about them. So oh, perhaps it's that. Maybe it's well, that. Well, yeah, but that, that, that might, that's the point. My, so my point is that even when you have them, you don't actually get to experience those celebratory, you know, pats on the back or anything like that because you're too busy having an out-of-body experience. No, it's true, but it's a very different feeling to – being at home in your office mm. at your launch, it's a very different feeling to that because, you know, like you, you're kind of sitting in your normal space, in your normal – It's yeah, it's a, it's a different thing. Like I, I, look at, I, I'm, as I said, I'm incredibly grateful to have been able to, to do these, these virtual events and, uh, and mm. I've, I really enjoy them, um, but it's just – it is a different experience of like – it's like when we did the creative conversation, like I, mm. like one minute I was in my backyard hanging out my washing and then the <laughs> next minute I was sitting, you know, talking to you, you know, in my authorial blouse and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so there's not that, it's not so much that sense of, uh, you don't, I guess what I'm, what you miss is possibly just that real sense of occasion that yeah, you get right. if you go to something. Um, yes, I suppose. Maybe. But yeah, I guess I on know. the other side, it's kind of great that you can be hanging out your washing and then turn up at these things. It's, well, it is. And I have to so also convenient. say that one thing about it that is an absolute blessing is that so many more people can come uh, to a virtual event. Yes. People who people who may not, you know, may not be able to attend, you know, um, live events for whatever reason, you know, whether it be because they're, you know, not in the state or perhaps, you know, they, they mm. um, don't leave home much or whatever it may be. Like I, it's great that, it, it is so incredibly accessible. Uh, these and, and I think that that's something that has been a real bonus that's come out of this year has been mm. the fact that and the so many more people have been able to access things that they have not been able to access before. And, you know, like I live in a regional area, so mm. there's a lot of stuff that I can't go to just simply because of, you know, distance or whatever. Um, and I'm only, you know, two and a half hours from Sydney. So if you're someone who's six or eight hours from Sydney or, um, you know, for whatever access reasons you can't you can't go to things, um, it's brilliant that these things are coming to us now. Um, it's just, as yes. I said, it's just a different experience um, to be you know, talking to someone through uh, through a screen as opposed to, you know, in real life and, and having a cucumber sandwich or whatever it is that you're going <laughs> to But hey, you know what? I eat so thank- many of those. <laughs> <laughs> thank God for the internet so that we can all connect in this way. I, I mean, know. Yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> and, and that we can – and you can stream through your, ear, your, you know, your earbuds and we can connect with you on the podcast and so on. That's so, right. And if you, you missed know. my launch and you would like to attend it, you can actually just attend it on YouTube. There's a yeah. YouTube video there for you right now if that's what you want to go and see. Cool. All right. So let's move on to the world of writing and publishing. 
There's a great post that you have for us from Joanna Penn, right, Al? That's right. Well, so Joanna Penn um, obviously is somebody that we've talked about. Uh, we've both spoken to her on the on the podcast and we've mentioned her uh, website many times on the podcast, mm. thecreativepen.com. She uh, is a force of nature in particularly indie publishing um, mm. and she has the most incredible deep website uh, full of, you know, various resources and different things that you can do there. Um, but she's celebrating um, nine years as an author entrepreneur, you know, that so, you know, in September 2011, she left her day job to become a full-time author entrepreneur to um, to make her living um, this way. And mm. she has written a post about the lessons that she's learned from nine years as an author entrepreneur. So congratulations, Joanna. You're probably not listening, but if you are, congratulations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but she, you know, she has quite the business uh, going on there with the various things. So she's not only writing books, but she's doing a whole range of other things as well. And she talks about, you know, the things that she's learned um, along the way. And there are two main lessons. Um, and the, one of those is, of course, that, you know, her model, which is a digital, uh, sorry, a digital, scalable, global, location-independent business, um, yeah. is, is very resilient um, in pandemic times. And that's something that she's, that she's very happy, um, you know, to talk about in the way that she's – you can follow her entire journey as she's added the various things to her, uh, to her business along the way. And, you know, she creates a lot. She, she sells her, her books, you know, into – she licenses them into different territories. And, I mean, she really has taken indie publishing to a, you know, a massive level. Mm. Um, but the thing I particularly liked about this post was the second lesson she learned, which is that goals change over time yes. and that's okay. And I knew that this was one that you would also um, – relate to because I think Mm. um, sometimes we get so fixed on one goal that we fail to recognise that perhaps that goal needs to be, you know, slightly manoeuvred or slightly manipulated or slightly changed um, and it's okay for those goals to change. Um, Yeah. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely, because your lifestyle changes, your priority changes, and the, but people shouldn't use this as an excuse not to have any goals, mm. like any concrete goals. So, sure, you can kind of think, oh, I want to get into writing, but what does that mean? You know, maybe it needs to be, oh, I want to do my first writing course, or I want to write 5,000 words, or I want to write one chapter, something that is definable. And I think that some people just have the very broad, a bit vague goal of I want to get into writing. And I don't think that that's enough. I think you need to have a slightly clearer vision, but also understand that you can change that vision considerably over time mm-hmm. as things change in your life. So very, very important to, to have some goals in the first place and don't beat yourself up if you got there quicker than you thought because usually you do. Yeah, <laughs> actually. yeah. yeah. And, but once you have got there, have your next goal, which doesn't necessarily have to be bigger. I mean, it probably makes sense for it to be a bit bigger. It, you might just have a sideways goal and that's okay as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, and and it's also that sometimes you can reach the goal and then realise that maybe that goal is actually not quite what you wanted and that you need to make some changes to that. So Joanna Mm. talks about the fact that, you know, her first goal was to leave her day job and make a full-time living online, which she did. And she talks about how she did that. Then she wanted to, you know, by the time she had left her goal, she wanted the the next goal that she had was to get back to a six-figure income because that's what she had left 
to become, you know, a full-time sort of writer. Mm. Um, so, you know, she worked through that. And then then she wanted to be like have the business in such a position where her husband was able to leave his job with a, with, with, um, a company and actually uh, work with her, which they did. And then, you know, she talks about the fact that just last month, you know, her husband has returned to a day job because his goals had changed. He wanted to do something different. He wanted to go back to the the industry that he'd been in for almost 20 years. So she, you know, she just talks about the fact that, you know, the goalposts are there, but sometimes you might reach them and find that you actually, you know, you want to take a sideways step or sometimes mm. you might you know, reassess. And I think it's important to always be asking yourself whether or not you're trying to achieve this goal because it's really what you want or if it's because you it's it's what you think you want or you know in actual fact is there some other aspect of writing that you're more interested in um, or that is going to work better for you and maybe you know you need to go down that road instead so I think it's um it's always worth you know asking yourself I think every year it's definitely worth asking yourself um, and it doesn't have to be on January 1 like let's not do yes, that to that's ourselves right. and um, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said is it really the goal you want because sometimes and I'm increasingly meeting authors who the goal is actually actually what their publishers want but their heart is no longer in that particular genre or that particular mm. series or those particular series of characters or whatever so mm. it's important to if you need that for your income sure do that but make sure you nurture what is the creative you know, itch inside yeah. you that yeah. you want to follow. Maybe you want to try out a different genre or something and you can do that um, on the side while you're doing your bread and butter. That's right. That's right. Mm. So, yeah, that's a really good post. And, of course, we'll put that link in the show notes, which is over at so you want to be a writer.com.au. Now, our competition this week, we have five double passes to the translators thanks to Palace Films. It's in cinemas now. Some people in some states might not be able to uh, take advantage of this, but a lot of you can. Um, this ingenious and wickedly entertaining new whodunit is an Agatha Christie-style mystery in the vein of the recent hit Knives Out. Oh, I really want to see that, actually. The mm. story centres on nine international language experts hired by a supercilious publisher to translate the eagerly awaited final book of a best-selling like dragon tattoo-esque trilogy. Oh, right. Yep. <laughs> when the first 10 pages leak online, oh. everyone's a suspect. The film's premise is based on the translation of Inferno, Dan Brown's follow-up to The Da Vinci Code. So Fun. just go to, I know, right? Just go to writercenter.com.au slash win and follow the instructions and you could win one of five double passes to The Translators thanks to Palace Films. So that's writerscentercomau slash win and entries close on the 28th of September. So now, Al, are you ready for the word of the week? <laughs> I'm so ready, Val. Good. Okay. A freet. A f. A f. R E E T, a freet. So A F for Fred, R E E T. I just want to keep going, a freet, a freet. <laughs> My kingdom for a freet. <laughs> no? Yeah, okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Do you know what it is? No, I don't. Okay. I really don't. Well, it does sound, when you speak in that voice, you sound like, like you're a canary or something running around a <laughs> castle. Um, <clears throat> it sounds like feet that are afraid, but it's not. 
According to the Macquarie Dictionary, a freet is a powerful evil spirit. So maybe there's an afrit in some people's houses. Afrit. Afrit. It yeah. doesn't sound powerful or evil, does or it? Evil. Like it sounds <laughs> afrit, afrit. like a canary. <laughs> it sounds like a canary. All right, there's an afrit. There mm-hmm. mm. Interesting. And that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre and our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1. This course is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Here's what Astrid Schultz says. I'd always loved writing, but it had taken a bit of a backseat while I was working in film and pursuing my career. And I tried a few times to to write a different story, but I usually would get stuck around 20 to 25,000 words. And I didn't know or have the tools to kind of continue with that process to see the manuscript through. So that's what really led me to looking at a course to push through to the end. So the first course that I signed up was for creative writing stage one. It was just a great starting point of Acknowledging that this was something I wanted to take seriously, it was something that I was investing my time into. The things I found most useful about Creative Writing One was actually being in a classroom environment with other people who had the same desires and aspirations to be published as I did. So it also gave me a wonderful network. It was just this really wonderful time where you know you set aside certain hours a week and you would go into this very supportive environment and learn about something that you're extremely passionate about. So you get to keep that community alive through the Facebook groups to have to support you through your writing career. I enrolled in several courses at the Australian Writers' Centre and each one gave me some sort of knowledge or skill or advice that I didn't know about whatever the topic was, whether it was creative writing in general, how to write a novel, how to write history, mystery or magic. And it really kind of gave me this general understanding and base for going out into the world with my manuscripts and hoping to get published. I did envision myself being a published author ever since I was a young kid. I'm so excited to say that I am a published author. If you'd like to find out more, go to writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. All right, so Al, who is our writer in residence this week? Well, this week we are talking to YA author Christy Neiman, um, and it's uh, it's a great interview. I very much enjoyed it. We were talking about an Australian Gothic YA story, so uh, that could, maybe there's an afrit in that one. I'm not sure, <laughs> um, but anyway, enjoy. Christy Neiman is an award-nominated author, essayist, and playwright. Her debut novel, As Stars Fall, about ecosystems and grief, was a notable book of the 2015 CBCA Awards. Her short fiction and non-fiction has appeared in journals and magazines, including Mianjin, Canary, Overland and The Guardian. Her critically acclaimed play, Call Me Kamachi, received a Green Room Award nomination multiple productions and publication by the Australian Script Centre. Her latest novel, Where We Begin, is out now with Pan Macmillan. Welcome to the program, Christy. Thank you, Alison. So, let's go back to your beginnings. We're going to go back through time to your beginnings as a writer. Now, Mm. As Stars Fall, your first Mm. YA novel, was published in 2014. Tell us about your writing and Mm -hmm. publishing journey that brought you to that point. Oh, okay. Um, well, I was a big reader when I was a kid. 
Um, and we lived in the country and I spent a lot of time by myself. I think uh, I think Margaret Atwood said at one point that writers tend to be people that spend a lot of time by themselves when they're yeah. kids. So, tick. Um, and then we moved to the city when I was about 15 and it was a bit of a shock to me. Um, it was kind of like my first heartbreak, actually, breaking up with the countryside that I came from. Um, and my friends from back up the country gave me a notebook. And so I just started writing in it. And that, that was kind of it. That's kind of what set it off. I think kind of the, the marriage of the reading and um, having a heartbreak over countryside. And I think if anyone's familiar with my work, they can see that the landscape is pretty important in my words. Um, and, yeah, I just kind of took off from there, which is possibly also why I think that first book, which came from an idea when I was 19 and wasn't published until I was in my 30s, so there's a journey, um, I think that's why why I was the mode that I went through. So that's where it's gone. So, um, okay, so you yeah, had the idea at 19. As well. Sorry? Yeah. Yes. You had the idea the at 19. Idea at 19 you, so that, you got, you, you yeah. got published in your 30s. What were you doing from 19? Yeah. Like, did you, were you, because you've written a lot of short stories. No, I'm only asking because you've written a lot of um, short fiction and non-fiction and plays. So did you, were you sort of working towards a novel or was it just something that you were working on for all of that time? Um, I was doing a lot of little things and that was one of the lots of little things um theater was a big part of mm-hmm. my life in that time and I was writing um plays and working with youth theaters to write for them um I was writing stories everything was a bit um piecemeal though I'm a bit of a late bloomer I think um I was writing all that time but for some reason it wasn't until I was in my late 20s, I think, that I looked at this idea again that I'd had when I was 19. And it ended up being about a bushstone curly, but the idea was actually about a flamingo. You heard it here. Um, flamingo? Turning up in, yeah, turning up in a lake in the Botanic Gardens. I don't, in Melbourne. I don't know why, but that was just a little image. It came to me when I was 19. It was just the bird out of place was mm. the idea, I think. Um, and it just hung around. And so then when I went, I'm going to finish something substantial and I'm going to write a book because theatre is wonderful. Theatre is amazing, but it's so ephemeral and it kind of, it feels like it slips through your fingers sometimes, whereas a book, you can, you don't need other people for the first, for the first thing. You can just sit down and write. Um, and it stays with you it's something that you can hang on to um so when i made the decision okay i'm going to do this book that was that was the idea that was still hanging around and the one that i went with so what was it about that particular idea apart from the fact that you 
decided you wanted to write a novel um, to have something more substantial. What was it about that story that told you it could be a novel and not a play and not a short story and not a, you know, poem or whatever? I like a hard question. because, (laughs) and a a large writing pause, Um, (laughs) I I think it was because it threw a couple of characters at me and one of them was very internal. It was this internal voice. And it was very much the the voice of me at 15 feeling this heartbreak from being removed from my beautiful landscape, which I had absolutely bonded with. I was a bit of a wild child, um, wildness child, not, you know, not, not peering around in hot rods and shit. Um, hot rods. Did I just say hot rods? That's a strange word. Um, yeah, so I think... I think that that voice and that heartbreak was so internal that I felt it needed to be a book and it needed to be a book for that age group. Okay. All right. So talk us through your process for writing a novel. So you had the image of the bird in the Botanic Gardens, which was a flamingo but did not end up being a flamingo. Um, so from that <laughs> from that point, do you um, are you a person who plans a novel? Are you a person who just starts writing? Like how how did that novel come together? Like where do you start? So that novel was actually. Um, bit of a nightmare of pantsing like mad because um, I'd been writing it for so long and I had gone off in 15 different directions. Um, I got a one of the first hot desk fellowships at the Viewer Centre um, and sat down and tried to wrestle this thing into submission. Um, and it was, yeah, it was very hard and I ended up having to explode the thing on my second last day there because it wasn't working um, that way. So I now am a a plotter, mostly because I had to be because in between that book and this book coming out, I had two babies at once and Ah. um, there's no time. (laughs) There's no time for when you have two newborns, which is too many. Um, there's no time to <laughs> just ride the imagination. So I, I did some serious plotting with this second book. But and especially because I'd learned from that first one that not plotting at all, not thinking ahead, just kind of sitting down and letting it go in whatever direction. For me, I think my imagination can run a little crazy. So um, now I do my my process now is fairly clearly kind of a combination, almost an alternating, um, what do they call it, pants and, and plotting. So mm, you are a I'll let it go for a while and then I'll think about where it's going. I'm a mm. planter. There's a word. There's a I think we had this conversation um, a few episodes a bit, back. Yeah. Um, okay, oh, right. so, <laughs> so that first, you know, your de- debut novel was long listed for the CBCA Awards. Were you at that time... Um, by the time that sort of all happened, were you working on a second novel or were you actually just working on babies at that point? I was I, at the launch of my very first novel. I couldn't have a champagne because I was um, just dating the two of them at the time. Right. Um, so that was my great my my great debut tragedy. Um, but yeah, so that I was I was pregnant when that book came out. So 
it's been a bit of a road to this second one, and thank goodness for two book contracts is all I can say. Um, I was I was beholden. <laughs> there was no getting out of it, um, which is good. I didn't want to get out of it. Um, yeah, so that was yeah. I I hadn't I, I didn't get the idea for this one until the kids were about eighteen months old. Okay. Um, and then I then I started plodding my way towards it. Did you feel kind of like because you know six years between novels, particularly when you have a, a two book contract, is is a long time? Did you feel pressured by that? Like, was there a? Did you feel like you had homework your whole life because you had to? You knew it had to be done. That's what being a writer is. It's like there's no time off from writing. It's like you always have homework. There's always something to be written, and if you're not writing it, then no one is, and it's not getting written. Um. So yes. I look having having twins is a thing. It's yeah. a thing. It takes you somewhere completely different for a little while. Um, so I think we can write off two of those years yeah. as me just not not feeling that pressure at all. Um, but once I had the idea, once I started writing, it it was pressure, but it was kind of a good pressure. It was it made me dogged in the face of. Um, some kind of serious life challenges. My mum was sick and she um, died when the kids were two. Mm. Um, so there was a lot going on mm. between those two books. So yes, pressure, but also life. And I mean, you have to let yourself off the hook for those things, don't you? You do. You really do. Um, all right. So six years mm. later, we have Where We Begin. Um, <laughs> so tell us about the book. Yeah. Tell, us, tell us a little bit about Where We Begin. So where we begin is the story of a young woman who leaves her home in a city, Sydney, in a bit of a state of distress, which um, we find out about during the course of the book. She leaves her parents' house, she leaves her boyfriend, she leaves everything she's ever known, and she travels through the day and the night into countryside, central Victoria, to grandparents she's never met. Um... And throughout the course of her being in central Victoria, she'd come enmeshed in both family and historical and even landscape past, the past mm. that she never knew about. And where did and this story start some, for some you? serious nod to the Gothic. Mm, definitely. Um, this, this story started as I was driving across this... Um, an area of landscape near where I live, which is a fairly striking landscape. And it's um, the Moorlaw Plains. It's a very high volcanic plateau. Um, it's completely deforested. Um, and it's paddocks and big wide open spaces. And the sky is really close. And it's between my house and one of the better supermarkets. <laughs> so right. I was driving with my. <laughs> I was driving with my um, two wee ones in the back and trying to entertain them whilst going across this plateau, this big long straight road. And on this straight road is a building that I've seen many times before. But something about this day, I don't know. Maybe I was just ready to think about writing again. Um, it's a two-story 
bluestone old Victorian mansion and it's a ruin. Um, it's completely run down. It has no ease. It looks like a big old bluestone box that's just been dropped in the middle of this plateau. Um, and kind of a, the, the gothic suggestions of it were quite overwhelming to me because, you know, I grew up with, I grew up reading a lot and Jane Eyre was one of my favourites and um, Daphne du Maurier and Jamaica Inn and Rebecca. Um, so I just had the single idea of someone who's not from here coming and staying somewhere where they have a view of that building and being a light on at night mm. there. And from there, um, that kind of just led me into the place doing its work with me when I write place seems to be the thing that puts words on the page for me. Um, so, so the place and its, its history and who might have lived in there, coupled with this character's own life, um, just kind of putting them together and seeing what happened. So when you set out, because the sense of place in this book is, is, as you say, I can it's almost like a character in itself. I can see that, you know, it would have been um, a, a really interesting starting point for you. When you set out to capture a place like that, what is it that you're, how, how do you try to draw the reader into it? Um, How do I try to draw the reader into it? Um, what are you doing to evoke a sense of place, like to, to bring that sense of place to life? I think I think it's to do with how I experience it, and I think that might be to do from <clears throat> having been a kid who ran around in landscapes mm. a lot. So um, uh, Everything about it, all at once. I kind of, I kind of see a place as not just a picture, but it's like it's the ultimate kind of um, intertextuality. I suppose it's like there's a uni word. Sorry, um, it, it's about the enmeshment. It's about the relationships between everything in that place, between the stones that have been pulled out of the ground, and between the people who live there and the native animals that are there and the that are trying to get back onto these land cleared paddocks. It's kind of this really quite dynamic hmm. thing. Um, I did a graduate certificate in environmental studies at one point. I, I thought I was having a bit of a direction change in my life because I needed to earn some money. Um, so I was looking at going into land management. I soon discovered that I loved learning about all the ecology and the relationships. But when it came to writing scientific reports, I'd sit down and write a story instead. <laughs> so there's something hardwired there. <laughs> but this is what this is just what I do. Fair um, enough. So yeah, so I think when I start writing about a place, of course it starts with what my eyes are seeing. But then everything I've learned or heard or someone said or everything I've felt or every animal I've seen living a little life in the corner of it kind of 
finds its way in somehow. Okay, so... Like, yeah, I don't know. No, no, I, I think that that explains it really well because I think that that's the experience that you get as a reader of this story, um, which is a, you know, it's a really interesting book. It's, it's very intense, but the voice is also very engaging. So Anna, the, um, the narrator of the stories, is an engaging voice um, and a really interesting point of view from which to see all of these things that go on. But I, I can see that it might have been also quite a difficult book to write in some ways because there are a few scenes in it that I would imagine you would have needed to steal yourself for. Um, yes, yes, and um, I remember that distinctly. There are a few scenes from the past and the present that kind of cascade on top of one another. Yes. And I wrote them all in the space of two days, really. Right. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's not something that you should do to yourself. Writing. No, I don't think so. <laughs> um, no, I, I think, I think in a way I had to. I didn't have a lot of choice because uh, what I was trying to work with was the this idea that the past is never gone. It's not yeah. redundant. Stan Grant has a really wonderful quote about it that the past is not redundant. It's here and in each and every one of us. Um, so that's what I was trying to go for. So yes, I did. I did feel that that was the best way to go about it, but you're right. I was I was pretty um, haggard by the end of it because the intensity kind of all comes all in a rush, which is pretty typical, actually, of a gothic yeah. kind of tradition, which is what I was saying with as well, that kind of slow build tension and just that unsettlingness of not actually knowing. Mm. Um and that's what I was trying to go for with this, was this transition from not knowing to knowing in, in so many different facets of this young yeah. woman's life, like yeah. her, her country's history, her family history, her own um, trajectory through life. Um, yeah, so having them all collapse on each other at once like that. I think you can feel that as the reader as well. I can feel that you probably, like, as the intent, as the book built and those scenes all, you know, as you say, cascade on each other, um, it does feel like the urgency of you writing them has been has been there. Did you, because um, there's a couple of timelines in the book, did you manage those by writing them like chapter after chapter after chapter or did you write one timeline and then the other? How did you manage that? Um. I think I, so because there was a lot going on when I was writing the book and I, 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 I plotted this book quite heavily, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It ended up being exploded and rewritten a number of times. So the plot that I plotted is not necessarily the plot that we've ended up with. Um, but getting Anna on the page and her trajectory through the book and actually I abandoned another when you asked if I started writing a new novel um, previously I, yes I had actually but I, I abandoned it because it was really complicated and I was in a place in my life it's that interaction between art and life really where I just I couldn't do a complicated plot because everything is quite complicated in life so I plotted it out so those, those other timelines that are aside from that main one I um 
I I dropped pointed them okay. a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I came back and wrote them later, yeah. except for those cascading intense scenes, which kind of got written all together. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I got I got everyone to that point that you were talking about, that really intense point um, first, and then I wrote the rest. Okay. So when you're dealing with darker themes, which you are in this novel, where's the line that makes mm-hmm. the story YA and not at all? Um, or is it just the viewpoint that makes it YA and not at all? I, this, this is, that's what I think. I think that if you can put something in the point of view, plausibly, of someone in that age group, and I actually do think that this is trending older, this YA. I think it's like 15, so I think adults would have not much problem reading. No, I agree. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't think I paid a lot of attention to that line as I was writing. Okay. I think it was enough for me to, to choose Anna and have Anna be walking through this story for me to consider it YA. Okay. I think sense. I thought about that a lot more in the first one in okay. Earth Stars Fall. Okay. Yeah. All right. So the novel has Aboriginal characters and experiences in it and your author's notes uh, show mm-hmm. that you received permission from the, and I'm going to get this wrong, but I'm going to try, the Jar Jar Wurrung um, <laughs> Aboriginal Clans Corporation to use... Wurrung words in the novel and that you worked closely with Auntie yep. Kerry Douglas um, to, as you put it, keep you over the line. Can you just explain a little bit about how... <laughs> I, li- I liked that, that phrasing. Can you explain how this worked and, and how that connection came about? Um, so I, I read a lot when I was writing those Aboriginal characters. I read a lot of opinion by um, First Nations writers about being white and approaching Aboriginal content. Um, I wanted to be the most respectful I could be and I have always maintained that my focus has never been on anything to do with Aboriginal culture or anything else. My focus is actually on Australia's white history, and yeah. I don't think you can talk about that without including some no. um, Aboriginal content. Um, so that's how I wrote them. I wrote them by thinking and thinking and thinking and reading and listening a lot to many, many Aboriginal people in the works that they've, they've written rather than, you know, saying... Hello, I'm a white writer, pay attention to me, come and educate me and tell me how I should do this. I kind of um, took it on myself that if I was going to do this, the responsibility really needed to rest with me. Um, But I also really took to heart that own voices movement of nothing about us without us. So I... Any cultural material that I was going to use in the book, and that included language, and there's only one word in the book, yeah. um, I I really wanted to have permission from the elders to use that word. Um, so that process, the Jojo Aboriginal Clans Corporation has 
um, a really great, a really great process that anyone wanting to use any part of their language can go through. Um, so I had to put in a proposal to them and outline my book and kind of state my position and they double-checked their dictionaries with the word that I had found and they gave me their version of the word. Um, I found it in an old um, white guy's historical document Right. which there's a really interesting relationship between Aboriginal languages and the white documentation of them because in some ways that's how a lot of them have been um, yeah. retained. So just finding that line is where you're getting that source from. Um, and then writing the Aboriginal characters, the whole first stage was really schooling myself and really keeping a very close eye on my own um, internalised racism and whiteness that we're all, you know, swimming around in, in Australia, um, and making sure that someone, so Auntie Terry Douglas, who's fantastic, and she's from that area around Maryborough and Moorlock Plains, and she works in education, and she just seems like a really perfect fit to be the person <laughs> to look over what I'd done and, and just make sure that I wasn't stepping anywhere I shouldn't be stepping or doing any harm in representations or um, blundering into my own blind spots. Yeah, okay. So that was, yeah. Excellent. So obviously a, a very useful process. process, you know, from your perspective. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, All right. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a thing to go there, but I think I think being afraid of going there is not the answer. No, that's right. All right, so <laughs> now begins the work of promoting Where We Begin, which is, you know, out mm. on the bookshelves, and you are in Victoria – um, so you are not out on the bookshelves, so to speak. Um, so what kinds of things are you? Uh, no. What kinds of things are you doing to help spread <laughs> the word about your book? Yeah, I'm moving to another state. No, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm I'm quite comfortable with being online. I'm I'm a bit of a homebody actually, so not standing up in front of people is is. Fine. Not a bad thing for me. I'm I'm writing lots of things, which hopefully little pieces, which will hopefully get out and about. Yeah. Just about the process of writing this book, and um, and about um, Australian Gothic and the history of Australian Gothic. Um, I'm doing some author talks and workshops through libraries. I'm having an online launch at reading in Carlton, which, you know, it's not in Carlton, it's in the ether. Um, so that's going to be interesting on the 27th of August. Um, so, yeah, lots, lots and lots of online stuff. My voice and my written words is pretty much it. Yeah, well, that's it's interesting, do, interesting times. Yeah. <laughs> May you live in interesting yeah, times. Yes, I can't say. wander into a bookshop and say... Let me find some copies. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, where can people find you online if they would like to have a look at your, your work and your other books and, and obviously, you know, where we begin? Where can they find you? What's your website address? Okay. 
So I have a website, which is christineman.com. So that's not very hard to remember. Um, I've got a Facebook author page, which is Christy Neiman Author, and I'm on Instagram and Twitter as well. So I'm under my name on all, all of those things. Um, platforms. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Fine. So Could we're going to fi- we'll find you. Don't worry. We'll we'll track you down. Um, <laughs> so um, we're going to finish up today with our uh, final question that we ask all of our authors, which is for your three top tips for writers. Okay, so first one's a bit controversial because I know a lot of people go exactly the other way, um, but I think you should say that you're a writer because once you put it out there, you kind of, you've got to put your money where your mouth is, really. So that was a big one for me when I was younger. Um, read lots, just read lots and don't be a snob about what you read. Just read everything, see what's working, see what appeals to you. Um, that's where you find the best tricks of the trade, I reckon, rather than reading about writing, although that's useful. Yeah. Um, and the third one is really just do it. It's, it. There are bits of it that aren't fun, but you can see where you want to get to. <laughs> it, it, and so just do what it takes to get there. That's, Fantastic. That's it. It's not, it's not very magical or inspiring, but... Um, it's, it's the prodding philosophy. Well, Just you keep know, going. Valerie and I talk regularly about the fact that, you know, there is a lot about it that's not... Talking about writing is so much more fun than actually doing it most of the time. So, I know. We <laughs> just, like, do the work. And just sit down. Pick up the pen. Good. All right. Beautiful. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Christy. Uh, much appreciated. Thanks. Thanks, Alison. Good fun. There we go, Christy Neiman. All right, so we're almost at the end of this week's podcast. What are you doing in the coming week, Al? Well, I'm writing a book with Al yeah. because we're nearly there. The, the, the end is in sight. I'm quite excited about the fact that the end of that first draft is in sight. I've had those moments throughout this particular manuscript where I've just had my head on the desk going, what am I doing with my life? Um, but I think that it's important that uh, we recognise that that happens every single time. Every single manuscript I have that moment. I think everyone has several of those moments and um, I've kind of pushed through the what am I doing with my life bit to, to, to actually hopefully finish the manuscript, which is, mm. you know, the key to the whole mess. What about Ooh. you, Val? What are you doing? I will be doing a couple of things. Number one, today, Al, I woke up really early and I went to the beach. Mm. I know. Who am I and what did, did I do you with swim? Valerie? Well, no, but <laughs> the fact that I went there the fact is that I still put, a good thing. Put my delicate toes upon the sand. <laughs> were you a freak while you were there? <laughs> no, I walked up and down the beach, you know, and I really need to get out more. So I'm very impressed with myself. So number one, I may be attempting to do more of that because I thought it was quite enjoyable. I thought Rexy, my cat, would enjoy it, so I'm working out ways to bring him to the beach. Um, Why don't you just take a dog with you? Don't you have several dogs at your house? Yeah, well, yes, but I wanted to bring Rex as well. But he'll get sand in his fluffs. No, no, I'll carry him. It's all right. You're going to carry your cat before. up and down the beach? Well, maybe not up and down, like just in a small area. 
Anyway, we'll see. I'll, Can you, I'll take a photo. <laughs> I would very much like to see Instagram evidence of this occurring. If, if, you, have, if you're walking around with a cat around your neck or something <laughs> up and down the beach, please take a moody photo for us all to enjoy. <laughs> I have taken Rex and Rocky to the beach before. <laughs> and okay. Rocky was a bit scared, so I just dug him in a little hole so that he, you know, was felt protected and he just sat and hold and just stuck his head out and just, you know, watched the world go by and he was happy once he was in a little hole. Um, Rex wasn't scared at all. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I am doing is I am working with Pamela Freeman on a course on structure and mm-hmm. it's a cracker because it's, um, you know, it's all about how to structure your novel. Very few people know that one of my superpowers is structure. I'm oh. just really. You have so, just, but you have so many superpowers. It's hard no, for us to no. keep up. It really is very <laughs> no, hard. I just dabble in many things. <laughs> They're not superpowers. Mm. Um, but my superpower is structure. I can just look at something and go, and that needs to go there, 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 there. So I really enjoy it. And I really, um, so I'm really enjoying um, the course that we're creating for people. That's not ready yet, but that's what no. I will be doing Good as on well. you. Um, but there, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Altait, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Make sure that you join our listener community if you're not already in it. Uh, just go to Facebook and search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community. It's free to join. We'd love to have you in there. So many fantastic, lovely people who are all helping each other out with resources and ideas. Um, and, of course, you'll find all of the show notes at So You Want to Be a Writer com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercenter.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscenter.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.